Hello, I'm Terrence McNally, and you're listening to Disruptive, the podcast from Harvard's Wyss Institute for Biologically Inspired Engineering. Can sneaker endorsements, cereals, protein powders, or electrolyte cocktails get any of us closer to the peak level performance of our favorite athletes? Well, despite billions in sales, the answer is probably no. But how about an elite athlete's biology? With 100 trillion cells in the human body, bacteria outnumber our own human cells two to one. And bacteria in our gut affect all our key organ functions. They play a role in our health, development, and wellness, including endurance, recovery, and mental aptitude. So what if we could tap the gut bacteria of elite athletes to produce customized probiotics? And what if those probiotics could give recipients access to some of the biological advantages that make those athletes elite? A former NBA hopeful in the lab of George Church at the Wyss Institute asked that question a couple of years ago, and the lab is now moving toward a startup to bring such products to market. In related news, consider this. With 2015 sales of $115 billion, sports-based nutraceuticals made up the largest share of the global nutraceutical market. But probiotic-focused sports products made up less than 1% of those sales. I'm going to talk with Wyss Research Fellow Jonathan Scheiman and a previous guest on Disruptive, Wyss Core Faculty Member George Church. Our bodies and all living systems accomplish tasks far more sophisticated and dynamic than any entity yet designed by humans. And the mission of the Wyss Institute is to transform healthcare, industry, and the environment by emulating the way nature builds. Jonathan Scheiman, a research fellow at the Harvard Medical School, has worked on transformative sequencing technologies and programmable cellular engineering with publications in journals such as Science and Nature's Methods. But that was not his dream growing up. I wanted to play in the NBA. You know, I went to St. John's University in New York. I played for the basketball team. Uh, we won a Big East championship my freshman year and NIT championship my senior year. But I didn't make the NBA, so as I tell everyone, my backup plan was getting a Ph.D. in molecular biology, <laughs> uh, which is, I guess, the, the traditional route for most basketball players. But, um, you know, I went to NYU for grad school. I focused on molecular oncology. And then, you know, when it came time to look for postdocs, I really wanted to get into genomics, next generation sequencing and synthetic biology. George Church uh, obviously has a great lab for doing all those things, so I had a chance to to do a postdoc in his lab and be a part of the Wyss Institute. You know, kind of been in the lab now for the past four and a half years working all sorts of cool technologies for reading and writing DNA. But now you're bringing your two worlds together. You know, for me, uh, I think after a few years in the lab, I always, uh, I, I kind of wanted to circle back into like, you know, my background and obviously that's athletics. So thought about ways in which we could bridge together the science and athletics community and in particular use the tools we develop in the lab maybe for applications in athletics. When was the first moment that you thought about cultivating the gut bacteria of elite athletes? It's pretty funny. I should also say while in grad school, I actually coached high school basketball with my brother um, for around eight years. So to give you a sense of how long I was in grad school. But um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so I was really big on, you know, working with kids and education. My parents are teachers. My brother's a teacher. I don't know, maybe around three years ago, something just it dawned on me. I was wondering, like, why am I in George's lab? What am I doing here? And obviously, mm -hmm. other than learning a lot and, you know, helping develop technology, kind of dawned on me, maybe 
it is to bring these communities together. So I first had an idea, and I, I told this to George. I was like, you know, I want to sequence LeBron James's genome. Imagine what that could do just for education and promoting the sort of technology we develop and the science to the masses. You know, and obviously professional athletes have a tremendous amount of influence in society and education. So, um, you know, I told that to George. He's like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. But why don't you focus on multiple athletes, not just one? So then it came a matter of brainstorming, you know, what would be a feasible project. But he's not looking at the whole genome these days. He's focusing. Felt like the gut microbiome is probably one of the more translatable fields in research right now. And also, the microbiome is dynamic in nature. It's something we could change, something we could modulate with diet. It's something we could extract and give to other people. So, those were sort of the rationales for focusing on, you know, athletes as well as moving towards the microbiome in general. So, to take it a step back, I mean, I think if you look at biomedicine right now, you know, a lot of times, and I come from a molecular oncology background, we're looking at, let's say, diseased physiology um, to look for deficiencies and then finding ways to correct those to promote health. And that's great. That's absolutely things we should be doing. I think another approach is, well, what if we look at extremely beneficial phenotypes or extremely healthy people and fit physiology? And certainly, um, if you're looking for that, I think professional and elite athletes are certainly one form of um, elite you know, phenotypes and certainly for all intents of purposes, these are like superheroes, right? They, they could run faster, they're stronger, they could jump higher, they're mentally tough. So I think the notion of trying to understand what makes these elite athletes unique from a molecular standpoint, and then the really exciting thing is extracting that information and then looking to provide it to others to benefit and promote general health and well-being, not only in athletes, but maybe one day in the general population. I turn to George Church for the big picture. Church is professor of genetics at Harvard Medical School and professor of health sciences and technology at Harvard and MIT. He's director of the U.S. Department of Energy Center on Bioenergy at Harvard and MIT and director of the NIH Center for Excellence in Genomic Science at Harvard. He's co-founded a number of companies and co-authored hundreds of scientific papers, more than 60 patents, and the book Regenesis, How Synthetic Biology Will Reinvent Nature and Ourselves. Now, we're talking about the ingestion of cultivated gut bacteria from elite athletes. Uh, let's set this up. First, what is the microbiome? Well, the microbiome for humans are all of the organisms that live on your skin and, and inside your gut and all over uh, your body that uh, can contribute positively and negatively to your health. And uh, I think we've even talked in a previous podcast at some point, George, about the fact that f I, uh, for much of our time, we perceived them as negative, as threatening, and so on. And there's been uh, quite a sea change in our perspective over the last few years. Why did that happen? What changed? Was it technology? Was it asking the right questions? What changed? I think one of the big things was the improved technology that allows us to analyze all those organisms. Uh, we knew they were there, but it was uh, too tedious, expensive uh, to assay exactly what organisms were there when in various people and various activities. So, but now that's, that's all changed. The cost has dropped by over a million fold. And the second thing that's happened is some experiments have been done where you reconstitute a microbial population show that it has physiological inputs, positive impacts. So that was missing before. So both the motivation and the 
wherewithal, technology to do it have changed uh, dramatically in the last few years. I've read uh, with 100 trillion cells in the human body, bacteria outnumber our own human cells two to one. Well, I mean, I think it's a little uh, deceptive in that they still are a minor fraction of the weight. You know, they might be a couple of kilograms out of a 50 to 100 kilogram body. I, I did an interview with neuroscientist Antonio Damasio, and I remember him saying something to the effect, and I'm not quoting exactly, of that while we are each an individual human life form, we also contain or are made up of trillions of other life forms. And I'd never thought of it that way. Is that kind of an accurate way to look at it, that each of those, they exist as entities just as we do? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, well, certainly. I mean, they probably look at it as a convenient package to carry them around <laughs> and distribute. Uh, and uh, we, we are locomotion to them, yeah. Yeah. And they have all kinds of strategies for uh, making sure that we distribute their progeny where they want them to be distributed. They trigger all kinds of reflexes having to do with sneezing, coughing, rubbing our nose, uh -huh. uh, all sorts of things having to do with defecation and so forth. Uh, so we are their tools. Uh, and to some extent, they help us uh, in return, not always. Some animals absolutely depend on their microbiome. But most of them, you can rid them of their microbiome and they will survive. Uh, um, not necessarily thrive, but they, it is, it's not absolutely essential. Nevertheless, that anything that gives you a, a slight edge in this world uh, has been heavily rewarded both during evolution and today. So that's what we're talking about is, is things that can impact your health, well-being, mental, as, as well as physical and athletic well-being. Now, it seems to me when our perspective shifts to where we on the one hand, see that there are all these other entities within us that have their own goals and that bacteria are not all negative. This is actually, it seems to me, a big conceptual shift in our relationship to microbes, to bacteria, to the rest of nature. Am, am I wrong? Oh, yeah, it's a, it's a huge shift. I'm not sure that uh, anybody is really overstating it yet. Uh, we, we don't really know how far it goes, but... Uh, it's big in the sense that quite a bit of what we've tried to do with human genetics is limited if the studies don't include major analyses of the environment and microbiome can be considered part of your body or part of your environment how you're looking at it, but it has been historically neglected in human genetics studies. I also notice that when I think about the microbiome, I almost always in my head think gut microbiome, right? Why is the emphasis, it seems to me so far, on the gut? Right. Well, part of the reason for the emphasis on the gut is that's where 99% of the microorganisms are. There are some known physiological components in the skin. There are uh, all sorts of uh, microorganisms in your sinus cavities, in your lungs, blood even, is, uh, blood and urine, which are sometimes thought to be sterile or not always sterile. And when they're not, it's quite important. Dental decay is important. Urogenital tracts are important, uh, both positive and negative. So, yeah, the gut is a major reservoir. And if you talk about being in equilibrium with our blood just by mass, that's where you could have huge impacts, uh, including positive. You could take metabolic disorders and fix them with microorganisms. 
Jonathan Scheiman outlines some of the biological areas for which they see potential microbiome applications. When I talk to athletes, you know, in addition to the general sort of uh, population, uh, I focus on three major tenets that the gut microbiome um, influences. One of them is energy metabolism. So, for instance, a majority of carbohydrates and fibers that we consume as humans, our body actually doesn't break down. So we have co-evolved with bacteria that contain specific enzymes actually break down these carbohydrates and convert them into energy molecules for our body. So that's one aspect. So influencing how we eat, energy metabolism, how we process these foods, convert them to energy. Another one, a huge you know, application is gut-brain access. So 90% of serotonin is actually fermented by bugs in our gut. So applications with regards to brain functionality, there are all sorts of studies coming out now with how the gut microbiome influences anxiety, depression, there's a recent paper on Parkinson's disease development, uh, autism, and things of that nature. And then finally, I like to say immunology. So 70% of our immune system is basically activated and primed by bugs in our gut. First of all, these bugs, you know, collectively as a community could prevent opportunistic organisms and pathogenic infections um, and competing them out of our system. But also they could interact with immune cells. They contain certain molecules on their surface to regulate inflammation, certainly not only in the gut, but also, you know, distal locations in our body. So, I mean, those are just, you know, some of the things and obviously their applications in, you know, obesity, diabetes, malnutrition, um, so there's so many things uh, that the gut microbiome influences in our body. Within immunology, Scheiman mentioned inflammation of significance to athletes and non-athletes alike. Having spoken with, you know, several athletic trainers at the professional level, I mean, one thing they say that they look at as far as not only training regimens, but also dietary, you know, sort of implementation is trying to prevent and reduce inflammation in their athletes. So absolutely, you know, if we could understand how the microbiome um, influences, you know, inflammation in our body and then identify bugs, and this is one of the applications we're looking into, bugs that have anti-inflammatory properties and something that we could potentially give to athletes as a form of probiotic, you're looking at things that could benefit their careers, but then ultimately help other people as well. Yeah, it's those other people, it seems to me, seniors who just wake up with aches and pains, seniors well, who, who, who stop exercising because the recovery takes too long. And then, of course, that's a vicious cycle that gets worse and worse. Yeah. Well, I mean, I could tell you myself, uh, I'm 35, so I'm not a senior, but I wake up with a lot of aches and pains <laughs> as well. So, I mean, I think a lot of people could benefit from this. The most successful example so far of transferring healthy microbiome is in the treatment of C. difficile infection. I should say what everyone points to in the field is the notion that already we could basically, you know, 95% efficacy cure uh, C. difficile infection through fecal transplants. And, and essentially what that is, is basically transferring a healthy microbiome community of organisms into someone that's affected with this pathogen and basically curing them. So C. diff is something that affects around 500,000 people a year. It basically occurs when people take antibiotics, when they're in the hospital for surgery, it wipes out their gut microbiome, and then this opportunistic pathogen colonizes the gut and, and causes all sorts of inflammatory aspects and ulcerative colitis. Obviously, something that greatly afflicts a lot of people, and right now you could cure it by gut microbiome transfer. So I think that's like, you know, the gold standard in the field. So you mentioned the uh, fecal implant, and this is, it's, I read about it for a few years, and it is just what it sounds like it is. My question always about this is, so what happens? In other words, you take a fecal sample, 
from someone with a healthy microbiome. You yep. implant it. What's the, the middle process between what, what you remove and what you implant? Yeah, I'll give a shout out to um, you know, a nonprofit company called Open Biome right now, and they're probably the leaders in this field right now. They basically, or in general, I think the process is you recruit healthy donors. And then once you confirm these donors are healthy, you essentially collect fecal samples from them. Um, you could then basically resuspend these fecal samples into some sort of buffer and get rid of all the sort of particulate and insoluble matter in these samples and then basically freeze them and, you know, sort of do a bunch of important tests to make sure they're safe. And then once you determine that, that resuspended fecal sample can essentially be um, shipped to hospitals. So not a lot of processing, really. In other words, it isn't that you change much about them, right? Yeah. You know, here's a fun fact, by the way. I think 60% of fecal samples by weight are bacteria. There's a lot of microorganisms. And, you know, it's the basic principle that in this particular case, just, you know, sort of repopulating the gut with a healthy and complex and diverse community. It's also been shown that increased diversity of bacterial species in the gut is associated with health. And certainly the notion of taking antibiotics, wiping out a lot of bacteria and allowing these opportunistic pathogens to take over is the opposite of that. The field needs to move more towards, let's say, a precision medicine sort of approach where rather than just take an entire community and sort of a fecal sample and giving it to patients, which works in the case of C. diff, we need to start to identify individual organisms or communities of organisms that cooperate synergistically that could then be purified, extracted, and then delivered in, let's say, nutritional sort of forms and stuff like that. For instance, if you recruit an ultramarathon runner, someone who runs 100 miles at a time, I'm going to venture to say that their microbiome in terms of processing carbohydrates to convert to energy, they're going to have some bugs in their system that aid them in that process for applications and endurance. And in fact, some of our studies have identified bugs that are elevated in these athletes that actually help in energy metabolism. Um, certainly, if you look at gut-brain access and the notion of mental toughness applications, I mean, professional athletes and elite athletes, if you look at the pressure that they face on a daily basis with competition, I, I would reason that perhaps they have some bugs in their gut that could help them you know, stay calm during these times of uh, high anxiety, or certainly they could benefit from bugs that may be able to, to calm them and help them with mental toughness. And certainly from immunology, we spoke about inflammation and notion that, you know, you could identify bugs that change maybe between performance and recovery phases that either modulate endurance, recovery, fatigue, or inflammation. So that's sort of, I guess, you know, transitioning to what athletes may have in their microbiome that could be unique, that could be useful for, let's say, beneficial applications. Um, but once you do, in fact, recruit an athlete to give you their fecal samples, you know, we also collect a lot of, let's say, metadata. We collect information as it pertains to their health, athletic and dietary history. So all of these athletes answer a questionnaire with over 100 questions that could give us a lot of background on them. Also, every day that they hand us a fecal sample, they actually fill out a daily annotation sheet that lets us know what they ate for breakfast, lunch and dinner that day, what snacks they had. How much they exercised how much they exercise, their workout, you know, how they feel. So this gives us a lot of background information that could help us sort of distill, you know, which microbe is associated with, let's say, their athleticism or, you know, sports-related functionality versus what they eat, which obviously plays a large role in your gut microbiome community as well. 
But once we have all that information, the real fun begins. Then we, you know, kind of take these fecal samples and we mention that each sample has millions, you know, of bugs in them. On one hand, we could then extract the genetic information from the fecal samples, the bacteria present within them. You know, once we have that genetic information, we could do all sorts of cool things and use next generation sequencing to basically decode that genetic information and then sort of run it through for all intents and purposes, like, you know, search algorithms and bioinformatics to basically then identify all the microorganisms present within a fecal sample derived from an elite athlete. So that's the way of identifying, you know, what's in there, what are they doing, and what is the potential of these bugs, and how these athletes differ from other athletes as well as non-athletes. That seems to me that's the first half. That That is the first half. Once we have those candidates, you know, through next-generation sequencing, what we then do is we could go back to these fecal samples and, believe it or not, actually <laughs> grow them out in the lab under Petri dishes, under special conditions, and then start to, like, isolate and purify individual bacterial colonies which we can then select, grow up, and basically now start to have these purified bacterial cultures that we then start to do all sorts of cool functional validation studies and initially animal models to test for safety. But then ultimately, once we prove that they're safe, start to do studies with an athletes to see if we could provide these probiotics to them to help them with performance and recovery applications. Where when we talked about C. diff, it was just cleaning it up, purifying it, and then putting it in another human being. This one, you're extracting, you're cultivating. Uh, so you're creating, if you will, ingredients for a new probiotic. Absolutely. I think you hit it on the head. All we're doing is basically using uh, next generation genomics to identify novel probiotic candidates that could serve as ingredients for, you know, let's say one day sports nutrition products. I will say something provocative, though. Um, I am not excluding the possibility that... <laughs> Fecal transplants of elite athlete microbiomes into non-athletes may have a beneficial effect. I mean, I'm not going to exclude that possibility. That, but that, I the think... very, that the very simple <laughs> replacement might might actually have an effect, and you just don't know yet. You know, we know probiotics work. I mean, there have been studies on probiotics. You know, there's been longitudinal studies with people that eat yogurt on a daily basis and showing that they're less prone to becoming obese. There have been follow-up studies showing that probiotics have anti-inflammatory effects in the gut. You know, there have been studies we spoke about gut-brain access and mental toughness that they influence sort of, you know, calmness and anxiety levels, you know, in people. So there's a lot of study out there, but again, there's not a lot of diversity. And I think there's a dearth of uh, innovation and implementation of technology in the field, and that's really where we're looking to be disruptive. A couple of things that I want to touch upon in terms of, you know, the functionality and functional validation of what we're doing. You know, I mentioned the marathon study where we collected samples from athletes before and after they ran the marathon, and we looked for changes in their gut microbiome. One interesting finding, you know, that we discovered is that in all of these athletes, and it even extends beyond the marathon runners, it goes to our uh, the rowers trained for the Olympics, as well as the ultra marathon runners, is right after these athletes compete, we find a spike in their biome of this one particular bug, several bugs, but one in particular, that actually its natural ability is to break down and ferment lactic acid, which is kind of interesting if you think about it, because obviously after, you know, physical exertion and intense exercise, there's an increase in lactic acid in, you know, in the blood, which is associated with soreness uh, and fatigue. But what we're finding is there's almost this natural response in the biome of these athletes to increase the abundance of this bug that breaks down lactic acid. So a couple of things come to mind as far as applications. You know, imagine you could purify this one bug 
and then give it back to athletes before they run a race to actually prevent lactic acid accumulation, prevent fatigue, prevent soreness, but to aid endurance and recovery. And in fact, this is one of our lead candidates. We've already purified it. We've lyophilized it. We've shown that it's stable on the bench for a month. And we're introducing it now to animal models to show that it's safe and then ultimately do functional studies to see if maybe these animals could run longer, you know, or have reduced levels of inflammation or reduced levels of lactate in their blood. And then obviously, you know, move that into humans as well. So, you know, that those are some of the things how we're translating the discoveries through sequencing into now isolation, purification, and ultimately functional validation. And that seems to really be in line with uh, the VISA's uh, model of biological inspiration. You're, you're yeah. finding the body does this. It does it after the fact. What if you yep. can take what it does after the fact, after the exertion, and uh, have it in the body prior and during exertion? After discovery, extraction, and analysis, George Church talks about the next steps in bringing a product to use. It's like introducing a new food or drug. The Food and Drug Administration is some level involved. Some, in fact, many foods and some microbiome treatments are not regulated uh, by the FDA. They, they are exempt. But the safest thing is to, is to follow all the FDA guidelines and do double-blind, placebo-controlled, randomized clinical trials uh, where you establish direct safety and cause and effect efficacy where it accomplishes a particular goal. Once you've gotten that there might be a positive benefit and there's safety, are you ready at that point to uh, try them in humans? I mean, that seems like a quicker process than in many sorts of uh, lines of research. Right. So many of the uh, microorganisms we're talking about are already considered safe. They're generally recognized as safe. Um, it's got an abbreviation, GRAS, GRAS, and they are present in a, many probiotic formulations, things like yogurt. Uh, we might have a new strain that might be a little more effective to a first approximation that doesn't need to be reevaluated for safety, although it probably will be in the course of any uh, new study. And uh, if it's sufficiently potent, then it particularly uh, demands, you know, the, the more you want to claim that it does, the more you have to establish its safety and efficacy. In principle, you can bring products out immediately if they're just uh, equivalent to existing products, just that the existing products were derived from ordinary members of a species of bacteria and we're getting the bacteria from elite athletes. You can do that without proof and likely uh, without any harm and possibly without any benefit. But, it's, <laughs> uh, but the point is it might get people talking about the science, thinking about it. And then in parallel, you can be doing um, experiments to see which of the new bacteria that you're introducing have how much impact, if any. And so and I think the important thing is to engage the public in every way, any way we can to be more scientifically literate. Um, you know, the Wheaties box has, you know, pictures of athletes on it and engages people a little bit more in their product uh, from, from a personal standpoint. This could do the same thing initially, getting the public and the athletes, the scientists, all in a shared common discussion. And then as the data starts rolling in, then uh, evaluating what, it, what to do next. And one of the things that's inherent in this project is actually attempting to be 
more specific, more customized, more targeted, correct? Right. So, yeah, a, a fair number of nutritional supplements and probiotics are taken without uh, rigorous proof that they're benefiting. Others, there's at least anecdotal or in some case even uh, research data in the literature that gives one hope, but it's very different from a, a double-blind placebo-controlled randomized clinical trial, which is, which, which is the gold standard. Some of the cases, the dosing is unclear. There are some opportunities for uh, personalization. Uh, this is the era of precision medicine and personalized medicine. Even foods certainly affect your body. Shape, size, activity, all those things are uh, influenced by uh, your food. And so, you know, to some extent, our foods should be treated with the respect that, that we give to, uh, to drugs. Uh, they have just as big an impact on your body composition and physiology. Is there any research that tests or shows that such probiotics, including the, uh, these uh, extracted bacteria from elite athletes, that such probiotics do enhance performance in athletes or non-elite athletes? Any research yet that shows that? No, this is, this is brand new. That, I can fairly confidently say, is not in the literature in peer-reviewed journals. I think it will be soon. Do you think it's inevitable that the product will have positive results? I think it's inevitable that the metabolism of a microorganism can influence the host. So if, you, if you're willing to make unnatural microorganisms, you can do almost anything you can do with any other drug delivery method. You can think of it as the microorganisms delivering things to your gut or your skin, and then that goes into your blood. And so it's just another delivery device. Whether that can be done with naturally occurring organisms taken from elite athletes, which would be particularly compelling and uh, easy to get uh, buy-in from the community, scientific and public, that's, I think, a little more speculative, but I think it's likely enough that we're pursuing it quite intensely. I return to Jonathan Scheiman to learn about the path forward. What stage are you in in your research, and what questions do you need to answer, and how are you going to go about doing that? The next phase is, you know, showing safety studies animals. Obviously, you want to show these these bugs are safe before you give them to people, although I, my presumption is since they're actually derived from our bodies and derived from our gut, chances are they're going to be safe. But then to your point, starting to do trials, you know, with athletes and showing that, for instance, these athletes can run longer, you know, or, or could run faster or let's say, you know, even things in terms of mental toughness. One of the things that I noticed in, in reading some stuff is that sports nutrition is big business and oh, so yeah. is probiotics. But the overlap is small. Probiotics is a very small part of sports nutrition. This seems like a opportune situation. Yeah, I mean, I think currently uh, <laughs> probiotics as an industry is around a $60 billion industry a year. 90% of it is derived from two types of bacteria. We have trillions of bugs in our gut basically waiting to be discovered to disrupt that industry that have all sorts of cool functional applications and beneficial applications in our body. Sports nutrition is a $115 billion industry. You know, Gatorade makes $3 billion a year. To your point, less than 1% of that industry is made up of probiotics. There's a tremendous opportunity. <laughs> The form that this is likely to take once you hit on some formulas that seem to be effective is a drink or something like that. What's your ideal timeline? When when might a product actually emerge? 
that is something that could happen fairly rapidly. And actually, you know, for our first set of probiotic candidates, we would imagine being able to commercialize them in this form within 18 to 24 months. Again, the great thing about the probiotic industry is that, you know, the manufacturing and delivery sort of uh, capabilities and large-scale fermentation, a lot of that stuff has been established. So you're saying 18 months to 24 months from the, the time we're having this conversation, there might be something available. Well, you know, I would say 18 to 24 months uh, between the time we potentially commercialize the technology out of the Vs Institute to getting a product to market. So obviously, that's a process, you know, as well. But, um, you know, we feel really good that we could get to market, certainly in an accelerated fashion, comparable to other biotech companies. But the great thing about it is we could continuously innovate with our R&D and obviously not only just, you know, probiotics, we're talking about applications with the microbiome to look for, let's say, personalized nutrition applications, performance diagnostics, and then maybe one day applications beyond athletics. So there's a lot of cool things we could do, things we could do fairly quickly, but then obviously long-term, a lot of really transformative things we could do as well. When these are finally available and an athlete takes it, what are some of the effects we can actually expect? What are, what are you aiming for on an athlete's performance or their biology? So I think the applications that we're focused on currently are those of endurance, recovery, mental toughness, strength. Can we you know, help athletes run longer? Can we help them extract energy from food better? Can we help them break down proteins and peptides better to aid with, let's say, muscle building and strength? Um, can we reduce lactic acid to prevent fatigue and soreness? Can we reduce inflammation to accelerate recovery levels? And what has been the response of athletes? I would imagine that's two questions. One is to, <laughs> to participate, uh, to yeah. give, you, give you their samples, and two, to actually... Uh, down the line, um, be customers and seek improvement? It's actually quite amazing. The response has been overwhelmingly positive. For instance, we were in Rio for the Olympics. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we were talking with some of the best athletes in the world about what we're doing. We spoke about recruiting athletes. We're in the process of following up with a lot of you know, Olympic athletes and teams and institutions, and not to mention professional athletes as well. They're so used to consuming nutritional supplements or doing training regimens with not a lot of sort of you know, functional validation behind them. So when we tell them about the science, you know, where we're coming from and what the applications are, I think they're just like, where do we sign up? They're more than willing to provide us with an abundance of uh, fecal samples. So we have freezers full of it. I've, I've got to say that uh, in, in keeping with their enthusiasm for this, I imagine somewhere down the road, there'll be the question of, is this performance enhancement? Yeah, we, we've received that question. You know, the first thing I say is, well, if it ever gets to the conversation of whether or not this is performance enhancing, it means we're doing something right. <laughs> That's right. That's a victory. Because, uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, because it means that uh, we've actually identified, isolated, and developed functional probiotics that could help athletes. You know, I, I could tell you right now, I've been into several NBA locker rooms and I've seen kombucha tea probiotics in them. So athletes are already taking probiotics, are already taking nutritional supplements. All we're doing is introducing technology to improve them. Um, and as you said, you know, there are applications beyond athletics here. So it's a question that we're not concerned with and uh, we'd obviously welcome if it ever comes up. Jonathan, in other podcasts, I've spoken to teams at the VS who are in the later stages of spinning off startups. Just the, the startup is about to burst. You're in a much earlier stage. What is it like at the Vs, in your process, you assume there's a startup down the road, but what, mm -hmm. what is it 
like in this stage in that process? One thing I could say is that, um, man, I can't imagine doing the work I'm doing and trying to translate the work I'm doing in any other place, you know, in George Church's lab and, and the Wies Institute. And, you know, the first time, you know, I met George Church um, for an interview and he invited me to the lab and then, um, you know, ultimately the Wies Institute, I said, well, George, you know, my background is in arts and athletics. And he said, great. You know, that's good. That's what we want. You know, he's like, we want people that think differently. And I got to say, the Wies Institute as a whole, it just really encourages people to think differently and then think of ways that, you know, part of what we're doing, and I know George's lab is big on this and the Wies is big on this, you know, we're scientists, but we don't want to be bottled up in a research lab and do things that won't have any sort of applications in the real world. So I think there's a real push and encouragement of scientists to think of ways where they could translate their science. And obviously, this is the mission statement of the Wies. And to that end, there's just a tremendous amount of support. I mean, not just scientifically, but also ways to think about, you know, business development, commercialization strategy. I mean, think in every aspect of this, the Wies has just been supportive along the way. And even to this sort of podcast to sort of, you know, kind of take what we're doing, you know, and kind of get it out there in the real world. So, um, it's just a tremendous environment for thinking differently and then importantly trying to translate that work and ultimately for the benefit of the general population. So, you know, George has been around the block a time or two as it comes to, uh, you know, disruptive technology and also translating it and starting companies. So in terms of a mentor and an advisor, I mean, it's hard to find someone that would be better suited to sort of help me in the process. And, you know, George is just, again, there's no idea that's too crazy for him. Um, he's always challenging you to think bigger in ways that this could be impactful. And he's really big on that, too. He's really big on developing technologies that ultimately are going to help people and will be educational. He's done stuff with the Personal Genome Project. He has something called you know, PGP Ed, which also looks to educate people about genomics and, and genetics. There's just been a tremendous amount of support in all regards. I could talk about one of my basketball coaches at St. John's when I first told him about this. And, you know, the joke is, you know, I asked him, I was like, well, you know, how can I work for the NBA? And he said, well, John, you know, you work at Harvard. Why don't you just invent something and have the NBA work with you? <laughs> Thanks a lot, Jonathan. Great. Thank you very much. George Church sees probiotics that include gut bacteria of elite athletes as just one of a wide range of possibilities. What's your big picture of where this sort of field might go in the next five or 10 years? Uh, the, the applications of, of human microbiome therapies can range from fixing diseases to uh, athletic improvements to mental components to aging reversal. You know, almost every aspect of health, uh, wellness, and aging could be uh, impacted. You know, if we get off on a, to a good start with the small number of therapeutic applications that are out there already looking very promising. Finally, a, a question that, that always comes up for me is the VIS is dedicated to translation and the development of products and therapies that impact the world. How does that or has that influenced the path and momentum of this project? Yeah, the VIS Institute really is, is a wonderful place to do basic research and swiftly move that into a translational environment uh, where you can get it out and have an impact on society. And even at the very earliest uh, formulation of the, of the basic research, you've got your eye on the ball, you can see where it could go, and that can influence some of the choices you make early on in the project. So it's a terrific incubator of ideas and 
collaborations among uh, disparate backgrounds and, and disciplines. How do you see your role as as a mentor at the VIS? Well, right. So, I mean, whether I'm advising postdoctoral fellows that are doing basic research or as they transition into all the way out to decisions about startups, marketing, getting things into the hands of the public, there's some definitely some similarities where we're envisioning and debugging the science. Uh, there's some differences where marketing is less of an issue for most postdocs. Uh, I mean, at most, you're worrying about whether you can market it to the peer-reviewed journals. <laughs> to some extent, you want to complement them. And so if they're already going in one direction and that's healthy, you leave that alone. But if there's a, a, a new direction that could open their mind. And I think I think one of the things I did with Jonathan was he was um, focusing extremely on getting very clean and extensive mouse data. And I said, A, that's going to be expensive and take a long time, but B, it may not be that relevant. And we're dealing here with something that people are already eating. Um, maybe we could move more quickly into into human clinical trials. I think that took him a little bit by surprise, and mm -hmm. uh, he, went, he, he noodled on it, and, and I, I think uh, that has influenced uh, the path that we're, we're taking. Now, for Jonathan, this project is close to his heart as a basketball player. Is there a sport in your present or your past when you, you've used yourself as a test subject before? If you tested this on yourself, what sport are you looking to improve in? Well, right, so I have... Uh, participated as a guinea pig number one in, in a project called personalgenomes.org, a personal genomes project, and it has included microbiome components of it, uh, not specifically aimed at uh, that project, not specifically aimed at, at sports. In my past, I was on the uh, varsity track and wrestling teams in high school and the beginning of college. I think what I'm most excited about is uh, – you know, wellness, uh, things that might result in reversing the aging process or extending youthfulness and anything that could help with uh, mental acuity. And there is an axis between athleticism and mental acuity. The two interacted in many ways uh, that are only partially understood. For me, the part that strikes me as most exciting is the recovery part, whether it's injury prevention or uh, exertion recovery or fatigue recovery, all those sorts of things, it seems to me, is an enormous market, much larger, actually, than the uh, athletes who want that 2%, 3% gain in something. It just seems to me the general population that wants to be able to remain active for as long as possible. Right. Well, there's, there's recovery in the ordinary sense where, you know, you run a few laps and then your lactic acid gets uh, back to normal levels. And then there's recovery from injury. To some extent, almost any athletic event involves minor injuries that you aren't even uh, aware of, ranging all the way up to life-threatening injuries. Um, and your body's ability to re recover from those allows you to train harder and, again, allows you to extend the youthful years of your life. If uh, one of these products comes to market, might this be something you'd take? And what would you be looking to get from it? Uh, I would be uh, interested in taking it before it makes it to market. Uh, <laughs> I'm interested not just in the athletic components, but the aging and mental components as well. 
that may be an unintended consequence at the beginning, or it may be something that's uh, that's very intentional somewhere along the, the line. But I'd, I'd be interested to be guinea pig at any stage. Yeah, I, I, I must say, so, so would I. <laughs> Might get me back out on the court. Uh, thank you very much, George Shirts. It's a pleasure, as usual. I really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. It's great being with you. You've been listening to Disruptive Sports Genomics. I'm Terrence McNally. My guests have been Jonathan Scheiman and George Church. You can learn more about their work with the microbiome, as well as an exciting range of other projects at the VEAS website, vies.harvard.edu. That's W-Y-S-S harvard.edu, where you'll find articles, videos, animations, and additional podcasts. In fact, George Church has been featured in a couple of other episodes of Disruptive. To have podcasts delivered to you, you can sign up at the VEAS site or on iTunes, Google Play, or SoundCloud.com. My thanks to Seth Kroll and Mary Talikas of the VEAS Institute, and to J.C. Swadek in production, and to you, our listeners. I look forward to being with you again soon. Mm-hmm.